0: Hello, everyone. Today, we are joined by Kara Harb-Street. Kara is based out of Kansas City, and she works in private practice and nutrition communications. She's a former athlete and still enjoys running, lifting, and outdoor activities whenever she gets a chance.
1: Kara's work focuses on non-diet messaging, which you guys know Emily and I love, and it is often featured in national media outlets and through brand partnerships. She also works one-on-one with clients for intuitive eating, eating disorder recovery, and sports nutrition. Hope you guys enjoy this episode. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Upbeat Dietitians podcast.
0: Hello, everyone. Today, we are joined by a very special guest, Kara Street. So we already kind of talked about a little bit about what Kara does, but Kara, we would love to hear from you kind of what a day in the life looks like, what your hobbies are, what your previous education is, and then anything else you really want to share about yourself to get us
2: started. Yeah, well, that's a big question because I have to say every day is totally different. I split my time between the private practice world and then the work I do with nutrition communication. So, you know, in my bio, you probably heard a, a range of different examples, but I can use today as an example. So, this was a day that I kind of bounced around between a lot of different things. I had a couple of client sessions that were follow ups. I had an initial session with a brand new client. We just started working together. Um, And then, in between, you know, there's kind of little gaps and pockets of time. So, that's where I'll go back and do a round of edits for a nutrition partner that I'm working with, or I'll try to draft a couple of posts that I can you know, share to my own channels. I'll go back and edit a blog post that I've been working on. And then at the same time, my inbox is like overflowing. So I might bang out a couple emails if I'm Feeling like it. So it's it's really different day to day. Uh, later this week, I've got a day in the kitchen because a lot of the work I do has to do with recipe development. And that's always really fun because I, I make sure that we eat as much of, of what I make as we can. I I really try not to waste food. So those days in the kitchen might feature a couple different recipes. I'll do my shopping in the morning so everything is nice and fresh. Run through the photos or video or whatever that looks like. And yeah, wake up clean it all up do it all again um but outside of that I mean that that really kind of covers the professional work but a lot of it has has overlap with what we do for fun so my partner and I love to cook um we're both kind of foodies in that sense um and then yeah with the weather warming up we're trying to spend more time outside if possible we you know, are, are fortunate with kind of a unique living situation, but one of the downsides is that it has hardly any windows. And so now that the days are getting longer and the weather's warming up we're like really itching to get outside and we like to go for walks together. Um, I'm running a lot more than I used to in the last couple of years. and. Yeah, that might be a good segue, I guess, into the sports conversation because the running piece of it has kind of been um, on its its ups and downs since my retirement from my track career. (laughs) We love a good segue. We love a
1: good segue. Well, thank you for sharing all that. Our listeners love to kind of hear where you come from, what you're all about. Um, So that was wonderful. But yeah, good segue. Let's talk about what we're going to get into today. So We really want to have Kara share with you guys about intuitive eating as she really loves talking about that sort of thing, and then also how that can kind of be incorporated into athletics. Um, It can sometimes seem like those two don't really mesh, so we really want to go over how they actually can. Um, So I guess our first question, Kara, would be how can athletes incorporate intuitive eating into their lives?
2: Yeah. I think, you know, on the surface level, it's, it probably does seem like you described where there's not much mixing of the two. They might be like oil and water, but in reality, and just speaking, speaking purely from my experience as an athlete and, and now just having an active lifestyle, it's like, yeah, a lot of the principles of intuitive eating can fit. And maybe some of them have more of a time and a place than others, depending on where you are in your athletic career or how competitive or, or intense your training is, But, you know, my background as a track athlete, I feel like could have been much, much different had I known about intuitive eating and a a gentler approach to nutrition at the time. Because I think, you know, in working with athletes now, the most common thing that I see for the most part is is not an issue of overfueling or or eating too much. It's actually the opposite. I'm really struggling a lot of times to encourage eating enough, you know, eating enough to support um, adequate intakes, you know, optimal recovery, you know, the timing of meals between training or competition. And it, it starts to get a little dicey, especially when you get into some of the, the sports that have a big focus on aesthetics or those weight class sports and athletes are facing a lot of pressure from coaches and teammates, and sometimes more than anything from themselves. So these these lessons from the intuitive eating framework I think are are similar to a menu of options, right? It's like when you go into a restaurant and you've got your pick of what sounds good or what could meet your needs in that moment. And I I've started to think of those intuitive eating principles and other weight inclusive frameworks as similar to that. You know, it's it's a menu of options where athletes at the end of the day still have the body autonomy to say either yes, this is something I want to pursue. Here's how it works within my sport at this time. Or no, that might be something that I table for the time being and maybe revisit after I've, I've made that transition away from my sport.
0: I really liked everything you said, because I feel like the world of sports nutrition isn't really talked about as much online i feel like i feel like it's grown a lot over the past five ten years and especially just in general sports nutrition has grown a lot over the past like 15 20 years but especially kind of discussing like how it might have changed your experience with like your track career and what especially um and i really am glad that you talked about the aesthetics component of that because i feel like that adds a lot of challenges and obstacles around nutrition in general. And then when you add on intuitive eating and incorporating that, a lot of people don't really know how to.
2: Yeah. And I I think it really runs counter to the expectations of you know, I, I think of, you know, I'm, I'm doing air quotes, but it's like, you know, what an athlete should look like or what an athlete looks like. And again, like that pressure can come from the outside, but it can also come from within, you know, within a lot of sports, even beyond those weight class sports or others that have a, a more heavy emphasis on, on appearances. It's like, you know, across the gamut of, of team sports, individual sports, all of it, there's sort of this stereotypical, you know, frame or size or appearance. And what, what I've learned time and time again, both through just observation, as well as working with athletes, it's like, that really is not the best predictor for performance for, you know, longevity in, in that sport over the, the span of many years, or really, you know, how, how that impacts everything that comes after, you know, I've seen athlete's exit their sport and be totally fine. Um, I've seen others who maybe were fine in the moment, you know, while they were at their peak for, for competition, but then really struggle with that exit from sport. And that's Mm -hmm. where, um, some of those eating behaviors start to manifest in ways that aren't, really helpful for, for what they're doing at that point in their, in their lives. So yeah, it's, it's a really interesting area. As you can tell, I'm, I'm excited about this because that's one of my favorite populations to work with because, you know, just being able to more closely relate to them um, having kind of been through it myself, there's always kind of that limit of, okay, how, how much do I share? How much is, you know, too personal? Our clients are always at the center of our work, but being able to read between the lines of what they're saying and not saying, um, I think is is really helpful insight at at a lot of times.
1: Yeah, I think that's what kind of can attract your perfect client is someone who has maybe similar struggles to what you can relate to, and it helps you be a really good dietitian too if you're able to, again, in the right way, of course. You know, finding that fine line of not oversharing, but. Being able to kind of share your experience makes them feel more heard, more understood. And that just leads to a really, really good client RD relationship. So I think that's awesome.
2: Yeah, I think there's still a ton of confusion. You know, to your comment earlier about sports nutrition sort of being on the rise, I think even now there's still a ton of confusion about even what a dietitian does in general, much less that very niche, you know, highly specialized area of dietetics practice. And, you know, if the public perception is that, we're in the cafeteria or, you know, it's just training table and we're dishing out smoothies, you know, that's pretty different from a lot of the work that, you know, the sports dietitians that I know are are doing. And then in my world and in, in private practice, you know, the things that we're covering, but I think breaking down some of those myths about what to expect when you're working with a dietitian um, could hopefully ease some of those barriers to say, okay, I, I feel like I'm struggling, maybe help would, would be beneficial, I should reach out, while at the same time, you know, moving beyond that individual responsibility and saying, hey, how do we create a, a system that makes it easier to access? Because at smaller universities or programs that don't have as much funding, you know, thinking at the, the high school and collegiate level, it's like, How do you even get a hold of a sports dietitian, much less one that has the training and awareness of weight-inclusive approaches to do more benefit than harm? Um, And and I think that's one of the other issues that's facing, you know, really the field as a whole. But you know, speaking specifically to the sports nutrition area,
1: yeah, definitely. Emily and I went to Purdue University and we dabbled a little bit in the sports nutrition program there, just like as little student interns. And those athletes had a lot of access to a lot of things because it was Purdue, a humongous school. And I guess I just can't really imagine, like, since I went to a big school, it's hard to kind of see how people who go to a much smaller school wouldn't be able to have those things that it's really eye-opening to kind of consider how different athletes have different things they can kind of get used to, I guess. Um, That's a good thing to kind of bring up.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think for the smaller programs, it's not to say that there aren't any resources, right? Like there's, there's a really saturated space online and especially with social media and in some of the self-paced courses, there's a lot of opportunity to still learn, but we can't forget like that takes time. It takes resources like finances and, you know, flexibility with your schedule. And a lot of times as student athletes, you just, Don't have the capacity for that you know you're you're kind of getting hit from all angles with other demands for your time and energy and at the same time you know you're you're really in this interesting power dynamic between yourself you know your teammates your coaches your athletic trainers strength and conditioning it's really difficult at that really young age you know I mean we're we're still really really young at that point you know you've got kids who are 17, 18, 19 years old, trying to weed through some well-intentioned information that may or may not actually be be beneficial or or based in in the evidence of what we know about sports nutrition and and sports science. So I I feel like, yeah, it's kind of this uphill battle, but the the upside is I think there's some really great sports dietitians who are specializing specializing in that area, making that information, you know, more widely available, easier to find, and Hopefully at a more affordable cost, because again, thinking about some of the demands on sport, it's like between equipment and private coaching and lessons and travel and all the rest. It's like, what is there left over for, for adequate nutrition from a food access standpoint? is that something that's also a barrier? Um, but then also thinking, what are the limitations on, you know, what's left over to, to seek out support from a dietitian? So yeah, just a, a whole mess of things. Like I said, in hindsight, looking back, I feel like my personal athletic career could have been much, much different, but, um, now knowing, you know, what the the outcome can be, it's like, Hey, if we can expose young athletes and, and their families and their support networks, this stuff early on, I think that's a more proactive way to, to try to get ahead of some of the issues that could come up later.
0: Really glad you talked about the accessibility standpoint of it, especially from like, um, there's so much information, I feel like, especially with social media, that like middle school through high school, you're exposed to a lot and there aren't really sports dietitians or even dietitians around to kind of educate. And that's a lot of That's a big period of when you are getting a lot of information. I know from my experience, I know Hannah and I have talked about before where I, we like received a lot of very extreme nutrition advice in high school from like our coaches and whatnot. And looking back on it, it was not, it was very harmful essentially. And then kind of, if you even have access to a sports dietitian in the collegiate level, then that would be a really new experience. But then sometimes people don't always do have experiences to that. Or access to that. So taking into account that side of it as well is very important, which actually kind of is a nice little segue into our next question. It's pretty, it's a little, I feel like you already kind of answered it, but (laughs) in case anyone was wondering, can athletes incorporate intuitive eating when they're on different skill levels and intensity levels? And this is like collegiate versus professional all the way up to like Olympic.
2: I think so. I mean, there's there's, always going to be nuanced and so my default answer is well it depends it depends on I think the the goals of the athlete um you know what they're what they're really aiming to get out of it you know I've I've worked with a handful of athletes who said you know I have a limited time in this career um there's some sports that you tend to age out of out of relatively young age you know compared to what we may may or may not consider you know old again, in air quotes by outside standards, but they kind of look at it as, you know, Hey, I've, I've got a handful of really good years. I'm going to do whatever it takes to hit that peak while tempering that with the fact that, yeah, they, they kind of know a lot of what they're doing might actually not be for their health benefit for the long-term. And that's a trade-off that every, you know, every athlete has the right to contend with on their own terms. But then, you know, thinking about that menu, going back to that analogy, I think there are principles where you know, we can always turn to and it's like, yeah, from the outside looking in some of those eating behaviors might actually look a little diety, you know, from the outside looking in, it might look a little rigid, a little structured, a little, you know, whatever. But if we default back to say, okay, well, we also have principles of respecting your body. We also have principles of gentle nutrition. We have principles around um, honoring your fullness and hunger. And if those eating behaviors are serving those principles, then, I really think regardless of, of competition level, there's a room or there's a, a, an ability to squeeze those in. You know, I, I'm thinking about like meal timing might be a perfect example. If you're training at that elite or pro level, we can maybe safely assume that that the bulk of your day is spent around the planning, training, and, and recovery aspect of your sport. You might be working, you might have hobbies, you might have some downtime, but by and large, that training schedule might be dictating your eating pattern. And if we're looking at things like respecting your hunger and fullness, maybe the rigidity or the structure in your eating windows has to do with the fact that you know if you eat or overhydrate too close to an intense training session, you're gonna pay the price. Or if you wait too long after an intense training session, you jeopardize recovery. So again, I I think we have to apply that lens of remembering what are the goals at the end of the day and how is this athlete practicing in a way that serves their well-being while saying, hey, here's the framework. How do we respect and trust this individual to apply it in a way that makes the most sense for them in a supportive way that doesn't undermine any of those goals?
1: Yes, that was really well put. People often think that intuitive eating is just, you know, the eat whatever you want diet, but while there's no rules, there are still guidelines and principles and things that still can help you feel your best, perform your best if you're an athlete, that sort of thing. So that's a really great misconception to bring up and like really, really debunk. I like that.
2: Yeah. I I have a couple of examples that I always pull out because yeah, like I said, from the outside looking in, it could look super diety. And you might read that as, oh, this is disordered. This is, you know, and it very well could be, you know, the caveat on that is that I think, you know, more robust screening for disordered eating, you know, more, um, support and resources, things like that. But, you know, again, from the outside, looking in something like meal planning or meal prep could very well be super diety and create a lot of distress if you deviate or go quote unquote off plan whereas for you know some athletes it might be like hey my my time is so limited and there is so much you know unknown in my schedule I'm better off being prepared and have something I can lean on you know prepped and ready to go ahead of time versus oh at the end of the day here I am starving anything goes you know talking about access and resources too as an athlete it can get really expensive to meet those those energy needs if you're constantly resorting to takeout or restaurant meals or you know other things that you know, could could stretch your budget further than you want it to.
0: I love everything you said. I don't really, <laughs> I don't have anything much to add on top of it. But I think you've explained it really well, which is really great. I think people take a lot away from that, which is good to keep in mind. Our next question for you is something we always like to add. We like to add a little space for kind of if this might not be for someone. So we would love to ask, your opinion on if there are any situations that you'd recommend an athlete doesn't incorporate intuitivity into their life?
2: Mm, yeah, that's a tough one because I, I feel like the athletic population as a whole is fairly representative in, in some aspects to just the greater population. And I kind of apply the same same uh, approach I guess for for lack of a better word where it's like hey if someone is truly in the depths of an intense active eating disorder, we probably don't start with intuitive eating. Introducing that idea or the concept of weight neutrality, weight inclusivity, body liberation, all of that um, may may certainly be well founded and, and when introduced at that point in time it might say, hey, this might be a goal that you imagine for yourself in the future. but again when someone's really in the trenches of an eating disorder, you know, intuitive eating as a framework was never intended to manage or treat eating disorders. And I think that's one of the biggest myths too, because a lot of people sometimes enter into it without first going through the the recovery process from where that disorder originated from or the the things that they need to really heal from that first before then revisiting or or introducing those principles of intuitive eating. So I think the same can apply for athletes where yeah, without that that screening or awareness of where that disordered eating is is showing up, maybe we don't jump straight into the principles like, you know, ditching food rules and and kind of like giving this upheaval and in a sense of some of the structure and, and control they can feel safe in that sense.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. That's something I don't always think about. So it was really good to hear. Um our final like general question I feel like we've kind of already touched on, but do you feel like there's any other, I guess I'll say any other misconceptions around intuitive eating and sports nutrition that we kind of haven't really touched on already?
2: Mm, yeah, I feel like we have covered quite a bit and Really, the the biggest mis- misconceptions that I see with intuitive eating actually don't have as much to do with the sports nutrition side. It's kind of just the misconceptions in general, which I know both of you have have talked about in the past. So certainly, you know, nothing new. But yeah, I, I think back to some of the weight class sports or you know athletes in the arts who may look to intuitive eating as. Hey, could this be something I use to, you know, manipulate body size or meet those weight requirements or, um, you know, meet the aesthetic demands of, of what people want to see in the sport. And, you know, just like with the, the greater population, it's kind of like, yeah, that's not what intuitive eating was ever designed for. It's like running through that, that list of potential outcomes where it's like, yeah, you might implement these principles and follow this non-diet approach and weight, might say the same. It might go up. It might go down. But we just don't have that crystal ball to accurately predict in any way what would happen for your body should you choose to do this. So, yeah, I think being really transparent and upfront about that is is doing a better service for the clients that we're working with. And saying, oh, may, maybe like kind of being wishy washy about it. It's like I think the more honest and and clear I can be about some of those potential outcomes, um, at least provides enough information for someone to decide either, yeah, this is approach this approach is for me and I, I want to go down that path with you, or eh, I'm not sure yet. I'm still on the fence. I, I need to hear more before I make up my mind. Um, so again, I, I think kind of like with with the world at large, there's a lot of myths that are popping up, especially as social media becomes more and more active around this phrase or, you know, intuitive eating and, and non-diet approaches in general, it adds a lot of confusion. So probably more myth busting to come in the future as it continues to kind of get hijacked for for purposes that aren't authentic to its origins. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Well, we really appreciate you sharing this because we've had some other sports RDs on here, but we haven't ever really touched on intuitive eating with them. So it's been really cool to hear again, how those two like really intermingle because they can and do so often. Um, And for a lot of cases, they probably should more so than they maybe are. So again, thank you so, so much for sharing all that. And I think to kind of wrap it all up, we like to always ask our guests, I always like joke, like if you were to like fast forward to the end of our episode and hear nothing else, what would you kind of say to put all this in a few sentences or thoughts?
2: That's a good question. Yeah. To sum it up, I don't know if I can actually keep it short and sweet, but that's okay. That's I would okay. Say if you know if you're an athlete. Or even if you don't identify as an athlete, you know, kind of consider the demands that you're asking of your body could nourishing your body in a sustainable way that's authentic and true to you and your goals help with that. And if you've, if any part of you feels like the answer to that is yes, then there is something in that intuitive eating approach that could help you get there, whether it's A handful of principles, whether it's just one, you know, ditching restrictive dieting and properly fueling, you know, even that in and of itself could bring a lot of benefit. And I think of a lot of my clients who don't identify as an athlete, but they're training for a marathon, you know, they're taking multiple high intensity group classes every week, or, you know, they're trying to keep up with their teenage athletes and and kind of getting involved at that point. And yeah. It's like, if you break it down, you don't have to be signed up for a race or, you know, going to a tournament, you know, competing in games to be an athlete who could benefit from, from better nutrition. So that's, that's maybe the the point I'd love to drive home is that, yeah, if you train like an athlete, you, you've got to eat for it too. I love that last phrase. I feel like, yeah, no, I don't really have to
0: expand. <laughs> yeah, that will be I an Instagram you, snippet. I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Very cool. So thank you so much, Kara, for sharing all your thoughts about intuitive eating and sports nutrition. I'm sure we can go so much more in depth about a lot of these different kind of, there's so many different sections of all of these. I feel like intuitive eating and both sports nutrition is also growing a lot. So I'm sure there'll be many more questions and things to come up in the future revolving around both of them. But we always like to end our episode with a bonus question. This is kind of It's kind of a little bit of a debate. It's more of us just sharing our opinions about something. (laughs) And we always like to make it really fun and lighthearted to um, take away from more of the like serious conversation we have for the bulk of the episode. So today's bonus question, we always let our guests start is what is the best way to eat spaghetti to twirl it or to cut it?
2: I got a little preview of this question, so I gave it some thought, (laughs) but for me, it's hands down the swirling method. The reason being, I love that like chewy, bouncy texture of like really well-cooked pasta. And I just can't fit as much of it in my mouth if I cut it. Like I want to get that big swirl on the fork and just like bite right into it. So for me, that's that's a no-brainer. That's, that's a super easy one.
1: Yeah, I have to agree. I have to agree. Um, I'm definitely a twirler. I don't know if I have a good reason. Besides, I just feel like I'm doing it wrong if I cut it. Not that anyone should feel like they're doing a bad thing. If they do, everyone gets to eat whatever they want, however they want to eat it. But I have to say I'm a twirler, too. It just feels right. It just feels right. Yeah. And I, like, love when you, like, get that noodle that, like, slurps up. Mm.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like the lady and tramp. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I am also team twirl. Three three. I think I like the aesthetic of it, and I I think I always match like the cartoons. As I brought up, Nurse Now, with, like the Lady the Tramp, although they don't twirl because they are dogs. But anytime you see in like a show or anything like they like, twirl up or like it's all fancy, and then I like when I can do
2: the same to my food. Mm-hmm. It's more fun. Nice. I would say the, the one advantage to the cutting is more of like the breaking of the pasta or like the short noodles, because not all of my pots are big enough to fit like full size spaghetti noodles. And so, yeah, you you get like that. end that kind of like sticks up. It's like not all the way down in the water as it's boiling, but yeah, to me from like a pure satisfaction standpoint, I'm going for like that really, like really good bite
1: that's yeah. like part of eating spaghetti. If you're going to like, just cut it, just eat a shorter kind of noodle, you know, like do like a ravioli or like a swirly guy or whatever. If you're doing spaghetti, you have to like eat the whole thing. Yes. Emily, I'm cool. very surprised about you with the twirl because I feel like it's messier and I know how much you don't like being messy when you eat. So I know, but me. I'd still
0: be using a fork. That's true. That's it's, true. It's Your hands my hands, get, hands get involved. It's when my hands get involved, I get weird. Emily hates when her hands get
1: dirty. It's a whole thing.
0: Yeah. But cool we all agreed or three for three that rarely happens yeah consensus yeah. I like it <laughs> yeah cool so Kara we always like to end the episode with giving the floor to you where can our listeners find you like on the social media any links you want to share this is really just kind of your time to promote
2: whatever you want <laughs> Awesome. Well, I will gladly do that. I spend a lot of time online. So my website is streetsmartnutrition.com and I've got a newsletter that goes out every other week. So that's a great way to just see the archive of of things that I've shared in the past. And then of course, social media, I'm at streetsmartrd on on almost all of the platforms. And then, yeah, I think one of the the most exciting projects that I'm working on that I'd love to share about is um, really close to launch. I mean, by the time this episode goes live, we might be really, you know, right at the beginning beginning of it or or just about, but um, we were talking earlier about the access issue for support from dietitians and how many barriers there are to getting more support if that's something you want for yourself. So this is an app called Way, and it's a really- Interesting compliment to the work that I do in private practice because it's it's meant to just be a conversation starter, right? Like no digital app could ever replace the one-on-work the one-on-one work that I would do in a, a session with a client. But this is a great introduction for someone who's maybe curious about intuitive eating or has ditched dieting and said yeah, I know these diets don't work for me, but now I'm looking for something to fill that gap. Like I I do want some help in this area, but I'm not sure where to go. Um, So you can find them online. They're on social media as well, Eat My Way app. And I've been doing a lot of session content with them, um, just providing some some input based on my experiences with counseling and applying behavior change through a non-diet lens. And yeah, it's been a couple of years in the making. So it's super exciting. The timing of this is, like I said, right about to launch. Um, and so that's definitely something I recommend checking out any of your listeners who are curious about it. You know, there's, there's a good trial to get familiar with it and see if it's the right fit for you.
1: That's so awesome. We will be sure to share links to everything you mentioned, social media, the app, all of yeah. that in our descriptions. So you guys can find it easier. Awesome. <laughs> you got this. You got this. <laughs>
0: okay. Thank you everyone for listening to today's episode we hope you took something away from it thank you so much Kara for coming on and sharing all your wisdom and whatnot this was a really awesome episode I know a lot of people will be very interested to hear about it everyone always loves all things sports nutrition I feel like Mm -hmm. especially um with our audience but we will talk (laughs) we'll see you guys next week otherwise have a wonderful rest of your day Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. See you next week. All right. Bye. Bye.
1: Thank you so much for tuning in on this episode of The Upbeat Dietitians with your hosts, Emily Krause
0: and Hannah Thompson. We appreciate you all so much for continuing to support us. In order to support us and sustain the success of this podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. If you'd like to provide us feedback for future episodes and guest stars, follow us on Instagram at The Upbeat Dietitians. Lastly, you can show us support by providing a monthly donation using the link at the end of our bio. Once again, thank you so
1: much for listening today and stay tuned next Wednesday for a new episode. Until then, we hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.